Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced and presented by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin Nations land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. 2023 marks the 75th anniversary of the Nakba, or catastrophe, the violent, forcible displacement of Palestinians from their homes and land in 1948 to clear the ground for the establishment of the State of Israel. The sustained violence of occupation has intensified over the past month, with a January 27th press release from the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights reporting that 2023 is on track to surpass 2022 as one of the deadliest years for Palestinians since 2005, which marked the end of the Second Intifada. Against this, Palestinian resistance both in occupied Palestine and across the diaspora has continued to build. In Australia, this has included the growth of solidarity between First Nations and Palestinians in the shared struggle against colonization. Today's episode features an exploration of Palestinian movement building and Black Palestinian solidarity through excerpts from the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network's inaugural Palestine Solidarity Conference. The conference was held on Kulin Nation's land in Melbourne from the 27th to the 29th of January, beginning the day after Invasion Day rallies swept the nation, bringing the truth of unceded Indigenous sovereignty to the forefront of public consciousness. We'll begin with some segments from the opening plenary session, Organizing for Palestine on Stolen Land, Solidarity and Intersectionality, chaired by APAN Vice President Nasser Mashni and featuring discussants Senator Lydia Thorpe, Kim Bullimore, Michaela Sahar, and Randa Abdel Fattah. You'll hear first from Randa, then Michaela, Kim, Lydia, and finally Michaela again, speaking about historical and present-day First Nations Palestinian solidarity in Australia. It's actually something that I'm about to start researching over four years um, to put together an exhibition and archive, which actually documents this history of solidarity, which often happens in those marginal spaces and isn't acknowledged um, until it hits social media and people think that it happened, you know, 10 minutes ago. But actually there's a history, a rich history of these connections in community that are unacknowledged, often um in, in, you know, feminist movements, you know, grounded in community, um, in families where that work is happening. And I'm, I'm trying to really go through the records, um, conduct oral histories. Kim, I'll be speaking to you to really try and retrieve that history because I think that it's so important that we honor those rich traditions and, and understand where our political vocabulary has come from. Because what we often do is we think that it has come from academia, from white academia. Once white academia stamps something and it becomes the you know the lingo and the the way that people talk we think that that's where it was created from very often it comes from the ground up and that's where scholarship happens that's where intellectual work and rigor happens through experiences through interaction between people through the grief and the anguish and the hard work that never gets acknowledged publicly unless you've got some you know journal article with you know big words acknowledging it so I think that's what I want to do and from the limited amount that I've done so far, I can see that there is a history there very much um, within the feminist movements. Um, you know, in, in Sydney in particular, I've met a few um, Arab Muslim and Arab Christian feminists who worked in the 80s, um, who sort of became quite active around the 1988 bicentennial and really, um, you know, became part of the movement against that um, and resisting those uh, histories that there were all those um, false histories and myths and mythologies about Australia and 
and starting to really form connections and solidarities with Indigenous um, women. So I'm trying to unearth that history. Um, but I think maybe Michaela might have a bit more insight in the Melbourne context. Well, just responding to what Randa said actually about not not needing an academic language to understand shared connections and solidarity. Um, I was asked by an um, Indigenous art writer, Tristan Harwood, to write an essay recently for Artlink, and I was thinking about what I could possibly say um, about solidarity, particularly on my own, not as a kind of joint commission with another First Nations writer. And my father told me this beautiful story, and it was from 1960, the 1967 referendum. And my grandfather had been made a refugee in 1948. Um, he'd arrived in Australia in 1952. He'd become an Australian citizen and been one for maybe 11 years by the time of the 1967 uh, referendum in Australia, which was also, as people know, a painful year for Palestinians um, as well. And my pa said one thing about that vote, and he said, I can see how it is here. It's the same as it is for Palestinians. The owners of this land are not wanted and they're not welcome in their own place. Patrick Wolfe had not written his admittedly wonderful work. Edward Said hadn't even written Orientalism. My grandfather, who did about three years of school, could see that. No one needed to tell him, but he didn't have a platform. So I think in terms of um, the building of movements, my grandfather understood that. We would go down and talk to the local church about that kind of stuff, what it meant to be Palestinian or or things that he understood as as being connections. But this is also really ephemeral material. What was that movement? I'm not sure. It's when when things are kind of on Swanston Street and not at the Williamstown Gospel Mission that we start to have records of what that kind of solidarity means. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's really really important in the sense of you know uh, of, of uh, part of my PhD was writing on this history of uh, settler colonial histories and particularly in Palestine and looking at you know um, Patrick Wolf who uh, I admire greatly and you know is sadly missed by many of us who knew him um, uh, you know he himself had said the work that he did built on the long long history of Indigenous uh, work done by Indigenous activists and things like that he never claimed that he you know was the somehow founder of this thing he very much was uh recognized that this is um a history that was already written by um uh indigenous people in australia and palestine and elsewhere so i think that really is important to do that you know to recognize those things um but in the sense of, uh, I mean, I'm doing a, a workshop after this, uh, which is going to be on uh, sort of uh, building um, Indigenous-Palestinian uh, solidarity and talking a little bit about that. I won't be going too huge. We only have a small amount of time. But, you know, one of the things, obviously, we had Gary Foley speaking yesterday, you know, who is, an as people know, is an absolute legend, uh, longtime supporter of Palestine. And, you know, uh, Gary has talked before about particularly, for example, in the 70s here in Australia, uh, with the Black Power movement making links with Palestine activists and uh, understanding that, you know, the links between our struggles was an anti-colonial, anti-imperialist struggle uh, and that there were so many similarities. And for myself, as somebody who got involved in Palestine solidarity work, I did so because I could see the links, you know, my, going to, to Palestine for the first time back in 2004, uh, you know, uh, it was so obvious to me before I went and it was even more obvious when I got there. Um, 
Um, so I think it's really important to understand that this, um, uh, as we're building more and more solidarity, particularly there's been some great instances over the last year or two between uh, Aboriginal and uh, Palestinian activists. But this is not something new. This is something that's been around for a very long time. Well, obviously, you know, I think the biggest thing for for both of us is the is our sovereignty and our sovereign right and um <clears throat> you know sovereignty is the fact that you are part of that soil it's you know the the colonizers when they came here they claimed sovereignty but they're not actually part of the soil so you can't go to someone else's country and claim sovereignty when you're not part of the the blood and the bones and the sweat and the soil um it's it's our inherent right as sovereign people on our own lands and i think you know keeping that in mind that the the way our struggles is what connect us our um you know our loss our grief unfortunately it's all of the the sadness and the struggle that connects us because we understand as um, people who belong to the land how how much of a responsibility that is as people and it's a huge responsibility and and the colonizing force don't understand that responsibility because it's about destruction, extraction, power, greed, uh, and it comes at the ultimate cost of of our people dying as a result. So I think in terms of our solidarity um, and how we perform that so that the rest of the world knows what's actually going on is to continue to... Um, share the platform, you know, and, and my little sister did, you know, everywhere she goes, she says free Palestine at the end of her, her talk. And, and Gary um, wears his Palestine t-shirt everywhere he goes. I wonder if even he washes it, he wears it that much, but just, you know, seeing my sisters and my brothers in that audience yesterday, just warm my heart. And it gives us strength when we're fighting our fight to know that you're out here, even though you've got a, your own fight and how much we are connected and how much, um, you know, I was just looking at a sister in the background over there. <laughs> um, it's messages of solidarity, sister, you know, in the private message that keeps us strong and and I hope that that's what we can do for you in return. And, and you know, my sister Nora, yes, was my neighbour. And just as a neighbour, we connected as black women in that street, you know, in Preston, <laughs> downtown Preston, and just knowing that we could rock up to each other's house and our kids could rock up to each other's house because we we didn't have to speak of our loss and grief. We spoke of our solidarity and strength and how we instill that in our children. And I think if we continue that every day, it doesn't have to be a rally. 
it's it's what we do as um, sisters for me, and um, and how we strengthen each other to continue the fight. Nasser often speaks about the loneliness of being a young Palestinian, and there was no one else there to protest on major commemorative moments like Nakbar or. Um, other Sabra and Shatila, other kind of major milestones that we commemorate in the Palestinian community. Um, and that was true until, I mean, really very recently, maybe even 10 years ago in the Palestinian community, um, it would be 12 of us or some tiny amount. And then something really major happened. And I guess for Palestinians, it's one of a long line of things that has happened but the bombardment of Gaza in 2008 got people on the street for Palestine for the first time in my life. So many Palestinians I knew said, wow, I've never seen such an enormous turnout for Palestine. And that was really, I think, the the origin point of a kind of capacity for us to connect with one another more. I didn't know any Palestinians apart from my family until about that time. And then I met three Palestinians and I felt on top of the world. I had three Palestinian friends who weren't uh, people with my surname. (laughs) And and so the last 15 years maybe of um, a growing organisation of Palestinian people who've also been able to connect with our First Nations brothers and sisters and the enormity of that connection, the fact that we are not alone but also that our struggle doesn't make sense here unless it's also part of your struggle. This is not our land. And I say this also as a diaspora Palestinian who... um, has never had the opportunity to live in Palestine. And so when you talk about country, it's it's painful because it's true and also not true for me. But maybe one thing I'll say is that the first time I had the opportunity to go to Palestine or to Jerusalem, which is my, where my family's from, I thought about this a lot in the way that we see uh, films and we we if you go to Paris for the first time or New York, New York for the first time, you have an understanding of what this landscape is going to be. You see something and it kind of fits into place. And actually for me, I found when I went to uh, Jerusalem, I didn't need to look at a map. I knew the streets and I followed the stories of my aunts and uncles and my grandparents around the streets of Jerusalem. You're listening to Women on the Line on your local community radio station with me, Priya. We just heard part of the opening plenary session from the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network's inaugural Palestine Solidarity Conference, featuring Senator Lydia Thorpe, Kim Bullimore, Michaela Sahar, and Randa Abdel Fattah discussing organizing for Palestine on stolen land. Women's on the Line. <laughs> Women on the line. (laughs) We'll now hear some of the closing session of the conference. This final session explored the question of what comes next for the movement for Palestinian liberation in this 75th anniversary year of the Nakba. You'll first hear from panel chair Lina Kolelat, followed by Noura Mansour, Ran Khatib, and Tasnim Mahmoud Samak. 
Nora Rand and Tasneem, I was thinking we could just have a reflection about how we want to center the Nakba within our activism on this land and our solidarity and our everyday work. If you could just reflect on that. Do you want to start, Nora? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question. Um, but maybe I could answer it in reverse. So I think the way to center the Nakba is to think about ways we can counter the effect of the Nakba. So if we think think about the effect of the Nakba, what, what happened during the Nakba? Um, it was not only destruction of Palestinian lands, it was also a destruction of the Palestinian society. So what happened was that you have 70% of the Palestinian were forcefully evicted from their homes. Their, their towns and villages were demolished. So um, and, and in that sense, that the Zionist settler colonial project not only targets the land, but also targets the people as, as people and as society and as individuals. And I think maybe if we reflect on ways in which Zionism does that is, first of all, you have Palestinians scattered all over the world, right? They refuse to let them back in. Uh, they refuse to recognize, which is an internationally recognized right by the United Nations, um, um, that Palestinians should be let back home um, like refugees you know with the war is over just let them back home um, so there's that that compartment and then you have Palestinians isolated from the rest of the world in Gaza and then you have another uh, compartment that is the West Bank and then Jerusalem even the status of Jerusalem and Jerusalemites and Palestinians in Jerusalem even you know politically um, also unclear like they're on their lands, but they're not citizens, they're permanent, permanent residents, um, as Jerusalemites, even with it's within, you know, what internationally recognizes Israel. Um, and then you have Palestinians in 1948, that are citizens, but also second class citizens, and, you know, still faced by like land confiscations and, and, and police violence and, and crime, which is something like crime rates. And this is not, like, by the way, um, it's not some weird conspiracy theory things. It's 90% of all weapon that's, um, that was found in crime scenes of Palestinians against Palestinians and Palestinian gangs within Israel is traced to the Israeli military like can be traced to the Israeli military. There's statistics, there's surveys about that. So what does this tell you? That this project is constantly thinking of ways that it can an, eliminate the remaining uh, um, uh, proportion of Palestinians, be it in, in 1948 or in, in uh, West Bank in Jerusalem, in Gaza, um, and how thinking of ways how they can make make it even harder for Palestinians who are in the diaspora or refugee camps to return. So then if this is what the Zionist project is trying to do, how can we counter that? And my answer would be, we need to constantly think about getting Palestinians together in the same room. How do we connect Palestinians across the world? How do we connect uh, Zena and Jalili? How do we make sure Zena and Jalili can go back to Akka um, every summer, <laughs> uh, and then Rand, and same with uh, Tasneem and Amal and Hidaya. How do we get Nasser uh, to talk to, you know, Samah's family in Gaza? So how do we make sure that these fragments are reconnected? How do we, you know, um, um, basically, it's about reunification. 
you know it's about getting palestinians when when we're talking about the palestinian experience we need to keep in mind that it's diverse and we need to make space that yeah it's maybe it's it's uh, complex and it's complicated and sometimes it's confusing and it, <laughs> you know what that's fine it's it's this is how we're up against something that is extremely violent and extremely powerful um and it's okay to give some space and time and make sure that the entirety of the palestinian um experience is captured it's important it's essential that we think about all these um, elements when we're thinking of ways to counter the nakba the nakba it's not i mean occupation is definitely not just in the west bank or gaza it's also in 1948 and it you know there's people who are um uh, impacted by ongoing policies who don't even live on the land anymore so just i think it's important that we keep thinking holistically and make sure that we're capturing all these entirety of the palestinian and connecting them getting them in the same room it's fine even if they fight that's fine we do that i do that with my uncle every dinner it's like you know it's like this we fight about politics and then we finish dinner and then we go and smoke shisha together that's fine that's what we do yeah i think it's um it's really important to think about the reconnection of these fragmented um societies as you say and i think also sometimes we need to focus on the enemy and the enemy is is the zionist project and it's also anyone who allies allies themselves with the zionist project because it's not enough for australia as a state to um to to work with israel and um you know in a way that still maintains that project um we're looking at peace deals in the last couple of years we're looking at um normalizations with israel and this is probably in my opinion one of the worst things that's been happening um in the last 5 or 10 years and i i wanted to give a shout out to there was a palestinian in my workshop yesterday um i'm not sure if he's here in the room but he brought attention to this and it's so it's so it's so nice to think about you know the people and the solidarity and and the grassroots movement and and but we're, we're forgetting that it's it's the states who have the money it's the states who have the um the power and the authority and just as much as the moroccan people are pulling up a palestinian flag their state is giving funding to israel and and using that money to kill palestinians and so this should be our focus um just as much as connecting the palestinian people and i think a lot of this comes with political lobbying and um and i think yeah i guess there's many ways to um attack the zionist project and we need to attack it in every way and part of that is building community the palestinian community the palestinian space and and the voices and part of it is attacking exactly the the states that are that are imposing and providing funding um it's boycott divest and sanction it's you know it's these are the um it's about a unity in working together and realizing that you can't achieve this in only one way um we need all of it um yeah just building on that like i completely agree that it's 
Yeah, it's about attacking um, Zionism and the Zionist project. It's also understanding how Zionism is very much um, tied to white supremacy. Um, and then also understanding how Zionism actually and the, and the entrenchment and the continuation of the Zionist project motivates the establishment of, and the flourishing of other ethno-nationalist um, supremacist uh, governments and ideologies around the world. Like we see that in India and Modi and the way Kashmir now is becoming a settler colony or, and some say, you know, for, for a while that's been happening. We, so it's 75 years of Nakba for us, but we need to understand what's happened in these 75 years and, and the way that, you know, there's been modernization, globalization. And as you said, the way that the Arab states are very much uh, normalizing with Israel uh, and the realities that we are now resisting under how they've changed, but also um, what, yeah, the way that, uh, there's implications for all of us in in the lasting of <laughs> Israel as it can, like year by year as it continues. But also at the same time, um, we we understand that when when we talk about like a global white supremacy, um, any time that um, there's a challenge to that, that that also changes our fate too. So I feel like we are at that point now. Um, and we have a better understanding of that. And, and when we start talking about racial capitalism, you know, the, these sorts of, yeah, well, I guess frames and, and that they sound theoretical, but actually we need that kind of way of understanding political struggle as well so that we can build power in a way that, especially resisting here from a, a white supremacist society um, as Palestinians, we need to be talking about our own racialization here in Australia um, and the way that makes it a bit difficult for us to stand up for our for our own people, being far away, but also, yeah, we face racism every day here in Australia, and we also face, you know, the you know the anti-Palestinian racism of Zionism too. And so, how how is it in our movement that we can center Palestinians and? Um, strengthen and empower Palestinians to take lead because I, I would love to see um, more of the Palestinian community mobilized and more of the communities that are directly impacted by uh, Zionism and by Israel mobilized and and I think that's how we can be yeah more successful as well. That's all we've got time for today on Women on the Line. On today's show, you got to hear some excerpts from the many excellent and stimulating conversations held during the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network, or APAN's, inaugural Palestine Solidarity Conference, which ran from January 27th to 29th in so-called Melbourne. You can find out more about APAN's work by heading to apan.org.au, and you can also keep up to date with and support boycott, divestment, and sanctions efforts in Australia by heading to bdsaustralia.net.au. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on unceded Kulin Nations land. Women on the Line is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network, and this is made possible with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Our theme music is by Ripley Kavara, and past programs can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. I'm Priya Kunjan, and tune into Women on the Line next week on your local community radio station. We'll catch you then.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.